Well, we'll read one verse. John chapter 15, verse 13. Here Jesus tells his disciples, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. The September 17th, 2001 broadcast of Bill Maher's television show, Politically Incorrect, became the program's undoing. Maher is known for his quick wit, his disdain for all religion, and his often irreverent takes on the social issues of the day. But on September the 17th, apparently he went too far. Bill would now agree, if you live by the tongue, you die by the tongue. Earlier that week, President Bush had come out and labeled the terrorists responsible for the bombing of the Twin Towers as cowards. But Marr and his guests that night, they disagreed. The show's transcript records Bill's comment. We have been the cowards lobbing cruise missiles from 2,000 miles away. That's cowardly. Staying in the airplane when it hits the building. Say what you want about it, but it's not cowardly. Well, Mars' statement less than a week following September the 11th set off a firestorm of controversy. Despite his apology, advertisers bailed. Some ABC affiliates stopped broadcasting the show. A decline in ratings signaled the end, and by June of 2002, politically incorrect had been canned. But Mars' controversy sparks a question. Who were the cowards that day and in the days following? Who were the real heroes? Nineteen terrorists entered our country months in advance to prepare for their assault on innocent citizens and their attempt to shame America. The Islamic jihadists were heavily funded by the Al-Qaeda terror network. After seizing the planes, the hijackers lied to the passengers. In the voice recorder on American Flight 11, you hear Mohammed Atta telling his captives that they were going back to the airport, that no one would be hurt if they cooperated. Of course, he lied. The terrorists, they turned those jet airplanes into weapons. Three of the four hijacked planes ended up striking their intended targets. Two planes flew into the twin towers of the World Trade Center in New York City, ultimately toppling those towers. One plane hit the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., taking out a section of the building. And one plane crashed in a fireball in a field in southwestern Pennsylvania, killing everyone on board. Meanwhile, on the ground, rescue workers and first responders sprung into action. New York City firefighters and policemen and Port Authority officers were able to evacuate scores of people from the towers before they collapsed. The world watched in horror as the upper floors filled with smoke and intense heat. At least 200 people jumped out of the buildings to their death. Eventually, both towers imploded in a mass of debris and rubble. For days, Afterwards, New York City emergency personnel, as well as crews from all across the country, they worked nonstop to rescue the victims trapped in the rubble. Chaplains and volunteers came to Ground Zero to minister to the workers and victims and family members who many were still trying to locate their loved ones. 
In the end, 2,606 New Yorkers died in the attacks. The New York City Fire Department lost 341 firefighters and two paramedics. The police department lost 23 officers. The Port Authority lost 37 officers. Eight EMTs also died. In Washington, D.C., 55 military personnel were killed at the Pentagon. The total September 11th death toll ended up being 2,977 Americans. And since September the 11th, 2001, the United States government has never backed down from its promise to protect its citizens and to punish the perpetrators of these crimes. Two wars were launched, in Iraq and in Afghanistan, to obliterate al-Qaeda and cripple the terrorist organizations like them. U.S. soldiers have bravely fought the terrorists and their sympathizers, all the while showing unprecedented compassion toward innocent civilians. You know, I'm not one to thump my chest and wave my flag and brag about my country and ask God to bless us, all the while overlooking our faults. But what American can't be proud of our military in these days? For the most part, our sons and daughters have gone into hostile environments and yet have conducted themselves in noble ways. Rather than viewed as oppressors, they've taken the role of liberator. We've sought to bring freedom and democracy to oppressed peoples. So you tell me, who are the cowards and who are the heroes? I would suggest Bill Maher's opinion to the contrary, that the Islamic terrorists who snuck into this country and plotted these attacks on innocent civilians and then carried them out in clandestine fashion, these indeed were the cowards. If you have grievances with a country or with a people, then an act of bravery would be to work in legitimate ways to address those concerns and to help make this world a better place. To brutally make your point at the expense of innocent lives is to most civilized people an act of cowardice. Make no mistake about it, on September the 11th, 2001, the terrorists were the cowards and the heroes were all the brave people who came to the aid of innocent victims who were in danger and distress and in confusion. I read earlier from John 15, verse 13, where Jesus told his disciples, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Of course, Jesus was speaking of his own death, but his words apply to all acts of sacrifice. The terrorists on 9-11 laid down their lives, but it had nothing to do with love. They believed that their God, Allah, would reward their sacrifice with paradise and with 72 virgins and everlasting happiness. Their act was a testimony to their hatred for all things Western and Christian and Israeli. Think of the word martyr. A Muslim martyr sacrifices his life to kill others, to destroy life. Whereas a Christian martyr, he gives his life so that others will live. That's what happened when New York City firefighters went into the towers with no regard for their own safety. These men sprung into action out of love for their fellow citizens and their fellow human beings. They risked their lives to spare lives. The passengers on United Flight 93 decided to sacrifice their lives to foil the hijackers' plan. And these people were so other-centered 
in order to minimize casualties, they waited until the plane was over an unpopulated field before they launched their assault. Let's roll became their courageous battle cry. On September the 11th, thousands of Americans laid down their lives in little and in big ways, not to take the life of another person, but to save lives. It's not hard to identify the cowards and the heroes on September the 11th. Cowards try to advance their agenda through force and manipulation and violence on innocent civilians. Heroes respect a human's right to life and freedom. Due to the death and carnage on 9-11, ground zero became an ugly scar on our nation's canvas. But due to the love and courage we also saw that day, we now have new meaning to the phrase, America the Beautiful. Fast forward now 10 years. It's May the 2nd, 2011, shortly after 1 a.m. in Abbottabad, Pakistan. 24 Navy SEALs storm a heavily fortified compound. Inside was the mastermind of the September 11th attacks, Osama bin Laden. For a decade, he had eluded justice, but not this night. A firefight ensued, and the courageous SEALs gunned down America's most wanted criminal. His identity was confirmed. His body was buried in the Persian Gulf. You'd think justice served, case closed, victory won. But not so fast. For the seeds of jihad are still being sown in the world today. The enemy we face is not just terrorism. There is more to the story. Understand, though I hate Nazism, I love Germans. I love the German people, especially their bratwurst. It's so good. I've been to Germany on several occasions, and most of the people I've met there, they're ashamed of Hitler's atrocities. I love southern rednecks. I am one. I love barbecue and grits and SEC football. But I am absolutely repulsed by the evil ideology of white supremacy. It's diabolical. Here's my point. Just because white supremacists are Southern and Nazis are German doesn't mean all Germans and all Southerners are evil. The ideology is evil, but don't make the mistake of guilt by association. Today, most Germans abhor Nazism and most Southerners despise white supremacy. And the same is true with Muslims and terrorism. There are Muslims in America and all over the world who are good people and peace-loving toward their fellow man. They despise terrorism. The more moderate Muslims, they focus on verses in the Quran that promote peace. But here's the problem. Many other verses in the Quran advocate war and violence. The Arabic word jihad means struggle. It appears 41 times in the Quran. It's used as a justification for violence and compulsion, even all-out war. And jihad is not just a tenet of the terrorists. Jihad is a basic tenet of the religion of Islam. Verses in the Quran, they command Muslims to suppress, even kill their enemies. You see, cultures that take the Quran literally and seriously 
are unable to escape this mandate for violence. Benazir Bhutto is a classic example. When serving as prime minister of Pakistan, Mrs. Bhutto was a champion for peace. She was a Muslim who renounced jihad. Yet sadly, in 2007, just days before launching a new campaign, she was assassinated by the jihadists that she had tried to silence. It's not just terrorism that's our enemy. Jihad fuels terrorism, and jihad is part of Islam. Wherever the Quran is taught, seeds of violence get sown. Here's the bottom line. Not all religions are created equal. On September the 17th, 2001, just before Bill Maher stuck his foot in his mouth on television, President Bush and a small army of Secret Service agents traveled to make a speech at the Islamic Center in Washington, D.C. Ground Zero was still smoldering now when the president made this statement. He said, the face of terror is not the true faith of Islam. Islam is peace. These terrorists don't represent peace. They represent evil and war. Islam is a faith that brings comfort and solace and peace to a billion people around the world. A year later at the Afghan embassy in D.C., the president, he reiterated his support of Islam. He said, Islam is a faith that has made brothers and sisters of every race. It's a faith based upon love, not hate. Now, let me say, we should thank President Bush for his leadership in the days after the attacks. I believe his strength and resolve to help a crippled nation get back on its feet. In fact, his attempts to export freedom around the globe is a noble ambition. I also realize that the president was walking a political tightrope, needing to condemn terrorism while not wanting to offend the Muslim nations that he was leaning on for help. But let me say it, I've got to say it. In his evaluation of Islam, Mr. Bush led us down the wrong track. And a decade later, we still haven't made the correction. Most Americans don't understand the sinister side of Islam. It's not a peace-loving religion that teaches love, not hate. That's naive and that's erroneous. Let me read you a few passages and let Islam's holy book speak for itself. The Quran, Surah 9-5 reads, Fight and slay the pagans. That means Christians and Jews, wherever you find them, and seize them and beleaguer them. Surah 2-2-16 teaches, Prescribed for you is fighting. Though it is disliked by you, it may well be that you dislike a thing, but it is good for you. In Surah 5, 33, again, the Jews and the Christians are the subject of the command. They shall either be executed or crucified or have their hands and feet cut off alternately or be banished from the land. This is from the Quran. Avi Lipcomb, he tells the story of a jihadist raid on a Muslim village in Algeria. This village had cooperated with Algeria's secular government. Men, terrorists, they rode into the village, made the wives cook them dinner, and then after popping hallucinogenic drugs, they raped in those same women and killed them and killed their children. 
Afterward, the terrorists retrieved their chainsaws and they cut off their, the arms and the legs of their already dead victims. Now, where does that kind of barbarism come from? The drugs? The hatred? No. Remember the Quran, Surah 5, 33. They shall be executed or have their hands and feet cut off alternately. They were making a point to this village. They were fulfilling the Quran. And their victims were fellow Muslims. See, there are places in the world where the spirit of jihad is so strong that Muslims not only hate Christians and Jews, but Shiite Muslims hate Sunni Muslims. My Algeria is 99% Sunni. This was a Sunni on Sunni crime. One group didn't think the other was devoted enough to live. Let me warn you, even after 9-11, most Americans assume that if this is a problem, it exists elsewhere in the world, not on our own soil. Think again. In 2007, the Pew Research Center published a study on the beliefs of American Muslims. 5% admitted to having a favorable view of Al-Qaeda. More troubling, 27% refused to answer the question. When asked if suicide bombings are ever justified, 13% said yes. Another 9% refused to answer. That means that though the vast majority of American Muslims denounce terrorism, there are apparently a few thousand jihadist sympathizers living in our own country. Remember, the seeds of jihad are sown wherever the Quran gets taught. You should know the God of the Bible, the one true God, the God of the Hebrew patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our God is a God of peace. The patriarchs, those that God identified with, Abraham and Isaac and his son Jacob, these were farmers and shepherds. These were men who aided the propagation of God's creation. To the contrary, Islam considers Abraham's illegitimate son, Ishmael, as their patriarch. God lived Ishmael too, and he blessed him. In fact, he sent an angel to prophesy of his future. Genesis 16 verse 12 puts it, He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. The angel predicted that Ishmael would be a man of war. Notice God chose to be associated with men of peace, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, whereas Muhammad linked his new religion to Ishmael, a man of war. Shihadists commonly refer to Islam as the religion of the sword. Muhammad started out as a caravan owner who did business with the Jews and Christians of Mecca. When they refused to cooperate with him, he turned on them. His religion was fueled by revenge and conquest. God chose a peacenik named Isaac. Muhammad picked a Rambo named Ishmael. Islam was aggressive from the start. Prior to Islam, Arabia was a land of idols. It was full of idols, over 300 idols. Muhammad picked one, the moon god or Allah. He was also the god of war. Today, the Muslim symbol is the crescent moon. 
Yet at a 2003 press conference, President Bush was asked how his view of the Almighty squared with the God of Islam. And this is how he replied. I believe we worship the same God. Sadly, that's the view shared by many Americans. But think it through. If the God of the Bible is the God of peace and the Islamic God is a God of war, it is impossible for them to be one and the same. When Jesus came to earth, he told his followers to put down their swords. You remember the Jewish guards who came to arrest Jesus. Peter pulled his sword. He tried to slice off, he tried to slice their head. And, and when the guy moved, he clipped off his ear. Jesus then picked it up and he re reattached it to the side of the man's head. And that's when he instructed Peter, put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Christianity refuses to resort to violence and to force. Christian devotion is always voluntary. In contrast to Islam, Christianity advances by persuasion, not compulsion. Though the West is ignorant of the differences between Christianity and Islam, the jihadists know. A spokesman for the Muslim Brotherhood puts it, Allah has made the prophet Muhammad into an epitome for religious warriors since he ordered Muhammad to fight for religion. The Christian is incapable of imitating Jesus regarding war, since Jesus never fought. Well, that's not exactly true. Jesus did fight, but he fought in a different way. He conquered hate with love. He trumped sin with forgiveness. He fought evil with good. And that's how he commands his followers to fight. Christians affirm that man was made in the image of God. This has many meanings, not the least of which is that he gave us a choice. Humans are self-determinative beings. Not even God violates the free will that he's given us. In a sense, this explains the sin in the world. For our devotion to be meaningful, we have to possess the freedom to refuse. Even if we say no to God, and use his gift of free will against him, God still honors our choice. He wants us to love him because we want to. Allah is the bully. Trust me, when Islamic clerics speak on Iranian TV, no time is allotted for the opposition's rebuttal. They're beheading maybe, not their rebuttal. All this talk of a peaceful and tolerant Islam, it's silly when you think it through. Do you believe that you can travel to Saudi Arabia, to Mecca or Medina, stand up on a street corner and be free to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? The Saudis are governed by Sharia or Islamic law, which has no bill of rights. It has no freedom of speech. Try to convert a Muslim to Christianity and you'll lose your head. Islamic countries have blasphemy laws to speak a word against Islam or its prophet is a capital crime punishable by death. Now certainly, Christians are appalled whenever we see Jesus depicted in an irreverent or blasphemous way. But we don't call for the head of the heretic. We pray for him. And we show him the truth. And we show him the same love that he's mocking and speaking against. We show him the love of Jesus. Yet when Muhammad gets satirized in a cartoon... A Muslim cleric stands up and issues a fatwa on the cartoonist. He orders a religious hit, 
a death sentence for that man. See, the next time you watch Muslims gather in the streets of Arab nations and start to chant, Allah Akbar, American reporters will translate it, God is great, but that's not accurate. The correct translation is God is greater. Greater than who? They mean greater than the Christian God. And trust me, Muslims also believe that Allah is greater than Jesus. When you go to the Dome of the Rock there in the heart of Jerusalem, you see writing all along the edge of the roof. In Arabic it reads, God does not beget and God is not begotten. It is a direct denial of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's a slap in the face of Jesus. It's an assault on the deity of our Lord. Understand this. Wherever Islam rules, Christianity ends up outlawed. And sadly, this militant tone of Islam, it extends even to Muslim families. Surah 4.34 in the Quran it tells husbands to strike their wives if they become rebellious or disobedient. Often you hear of honor killings. A Muslim father murders his own child because he disobeyed the laws and precepts of Islam. Did you know the United Nations estimates that each year 5,000 girls are killed by their own families? Everywhere you turn in Islam, there's a tone of violence. Allah could care less if you love him, he only cares about your complete subjugation. Here was Muhammad's final words before he died in the arms of his mother. Oh Lord, perish the Jews and the Christians. Beware there should be no two faiths in Arabia. In contrast, when Jesus breathed his final words on the cross, he asked his Father in heaven to even forgive his enemies. If you know a Muslim, show them the love of Jesus. They need to see the love of Jesus. 1 John 4 verse 8 tells us, God is love. You'll find no such reference in the Quran. The Quran teaches that Allah, He loves people who love Him. He loves the pure, the righteous, the patient, the people who fight for His cause. But you'll never see a verse in the Quran like Romans 5 verse 8. Where Paul writes, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Only Jesus loved and died for sinners. Jesus alone reveals God's grace. After the attacks on September the 11th, 2001, American President Bush, they launched this war on terror, a war that President Obama has also continued. And yet I am afraid that 10 years later, we still haven't even identified the right enemy. We're not fighting just a few radicals. We're under the attack of a religious ideology that is believed to some degree or another by a billion people. And victory won't be won through guns and missiles, but by love and by truth and by prayer and by a move of God's Spirit that breaks down strongholds. In fact, you don't hear it in the media, but that move is already happening all across the Islamic world. In 2001, a Saudi cleric, Sheikh Al-Qahtani, he went on Al Jazeera with a warning. He claimed, 
Every day, 16,000 Muslims convert to Christianity. He thought that to be a bad thing. Now, I'm not sure about his statistics, but from what I read, there is a revival of Christianity in Muslim countries today. You know, perhaps the best way for us to combat terrorism and encourage homeland security is to promote the gospel. Yet this morning, at Ground Zero, New York City Mayor Bloomberg hosted a memorial service to remember the lives and the sacrifices made on that fateful day 10 years ago. Yet conspicuously absent among his list of invitees were religious leaders. No chaplains, no pastors, no Christian leaders. Now perhaps his concern was about equal representation. Some commentators have suggested the mayor didn't want to invite a Muslim imam, so he eliminated all clergy. I'm not so sure that's a valid explanation, especially since New York City is familiar with these interfaith services. They've held them before. No, here's what I think. I believe Mayor Bloomberg, as well as millions of Americans all across our country, have forgotten what's at stake. We've left out the spiritual component, the God factor. We've forgotten the realities that were so clear to us on 9-11. That life is fragile and that our time here is brief and that eternity is what matters and that this material world shouldn't be our primary concern. Rudy Washington, the deputy mayor at the time of the attacks, he responded to this non-clergy policy by saying, I feel like America has lost its way. I remember the Sunday after 9-11. You do too. This church was packed. In fact, churches all across our nation were filled to the brim with people seeking spiritual answers to what had happened. It was a spiritual awakening. In a nation battered physically, something beautiful was rising up spiritually. Sanity even returned to our institutions. Americans seem to realize that our Constitution protects freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. I remember a prayer service held on the steps on our nation's capital. It was attended by members of Congress, no less. Where did that go? Boy, we could use that back. Overnight, this nation was broken and humble. We had a hunger for God. Sadly, that lasted just a few weeks. Two months later, the crowds had gone as fast as they'd come. Again, we forgot the importance of our faith. Here's what I think is behind Mayor Bloomberg's slight. He just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the significance of spiritual truths and godly concerns. The mayor is content to hold a secular observance over a religious battleground. Like many Christians today, he's dense to the issues at play. Trust me, the culprits of the 9-11 attacks, they were religiously motivated. The rescuers and the first responders were praying and seeking God's help. For a few weeks, all America turned to God. Our faith was a part of what happened on 9-11. Even when baseball came back, we sang God bless America during the seventh inning stretch. As I said earlier, all religions are not equal. There is a right and a wrong way. There is a true and a false way. In America... Christian, Jew, Muslim, Buddhist, even atheist 
has the right to worship as they please. But only Christianity would allow us to draw that conclusion. It wouldn't happen in a nation under Islam. I'll defend a Muslim's right to worship Allah. But I'll pray for him and I'll try to love him to Jesus. For it's Jesus who loves him and died to save him. Religious tolerance and liberty wouldn't exist if our country had not been founded on Christianity. If it had been founded on the religion of the sword, trust me, it would be a different, different place. It exists today as a re direct result of our Christian heritage. We enjoy freedom to worship for all religions because our founding fathers were influenced by a single religion, Christianity. And this is where our pluralism cripples us. We can acknowledge the virtues and contributions of Christianity without denying everyone else's freedoms. Realize principles like all men are created equal. Government of the people, by the people, for the people. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, individual rights, inalienable rights endowed by our creator. These aren't concepts brought to you by Islam or Buddha or the Dalai Lama. Our Christian legacy is what makes our country strong and free. Well, here's the prevailing question for our nation on this 10th anniversary. Is it possible for us to remain America the beautiful without the underpinnings of Christianity? Can America be great without a living faith? One of the lessons we should learn from 9-11 is that what a person believes really does matter. I think while Mayor Bloomberg bans some of the religious people involved is that religion doesn't really play a big part in his thinking. As well, it doesn't play a big part in the lives of many Americans. But faith mattered that day. Faith wasn't trivial on that day. It did matter what you believed. On that faithful day, Islamic faith took 3,000 lives. Christian faith showed courage and love and found renewed hope. It does matter what you believe. There is a right and a wrong. On today's anniversary of September 11th, let's pray for our country. Let's pray for the families of the victims of 9-11. Nothing will bring back their loved ones. But we can pray that God's strength will help them carry on. Let's pray for Muslims. Let's pray for those that we know personally. And let's pray for Muslims all around the world. Let's pray that they would be exposed to the love of Jesus Christ. He loves them. He died to save them. And let's pray for ourselves. That God will stir up a revival in our hearts again. That we'll be hungry for him as we were on that day. That we'll humble ourselves before him. In my mind, two pictures emerge from September the 11th, 2001. For a moment, we were America, the battered. And then for a moment, we were America, the beautiful. I wonder in the future which one we will be.